Turn to your neighbor, give him a big smile. Come on, say you're looking good today. I hope you had an awesome Christmas. I pray every one of you had an awesome Christmas. I pray you ate too much for Christmas. Come on, that's one of the days that you're allowed. I'm looking right at Denise, our dietitian, and saying, I hope you ate too much during this Christmas. You know you're allowed to eat anything you want on Christmas. Did you know that? It's actually in a rule book. Have you ever read the rule? It's rule 1606. Anyone ever read that book? It's rule 1606, and it goes like this. During Christmas Day, all diets and moderation is prohibited with no future judgment or disqualification to be given in the future. Did you know that? Christmas is a free... Okay, I made that up, but it sounds good. Amen. It sounds, sounds good. And I'm just trying to make every one of you feel better for the few extra pounds that you shared. You should have been going to the left and going to the right, and you could have got some of that weight off today. You know, there's been probably three or four times at least, Kelly's probably sick of me saying this, but over this Christmas time, just in the last couple of days, I've looked and said, man, I can't believe it's all over. Can't believe it's all over so quick. It seems like the preparation takes longer and longer, and it seems like Christmas starts in July now, and there's decorations in the mall really early, and the carols, like I said, on, on, what is it, the river, they play them from like uh, sometime in October now. It used to be like after Thanksgiving, but now it's in November or whenever it is. But it's up for another year. All the build-up, and then bam, the 26th. And it seems like it's all over and it's time now to pack up the decorations. It's time down to, to take down the tree and to take the lights. And it's a whole lot funner putting the tree up and putting lights up than it is taking stuff like that down. I know in our house, Kelly's got a Ziploc bag, a gallon Ziploc bag that this year all the Christmas cards that we got from people is going to be put in there, sealed up. And then 2013, is got, I don't know why we save them, but we've got bags of Christmas cards from all the years and pictures of you all, some scary looking pictures from some of you in the last few years that maybe we're saving them up for just blackmail in the future, that we can just put it up on the screen and say, have you seen these people? They are scary. But really, is it all over? That's the thought that I got as I began to prepare for this message this week, because the festivities are over, the parties are over, the presents are over, all the preparations over, but the story continues. The message continues. Why? Because the Savior, Emmanuel, is still Christ with us. It's still Christ that wants to live inside of us. And that's why today, the title of our message today is to be continued. It's not to be concluded. Some of you maybe think that your marriage is going to be concluded because things aren't going good. Your finances are like ended. Your life is ended. I just want to tell every one of you today, I just really believe for a continuation of 
of God's life, for his blessing, for his support, just to be in your life. And that's what we're going to talk about today, to be continued, not concluded. The story hasn't ended, but the story continues. I know I've mentioned this in the message before, but let me present it to you a different way today. The birth of Jesus Christ divided history into two parts. His birth on this earth divided history into two parts. It's known as B.C., which is what? Before Christ. And then A.D., which is after Christ or after his death or anadonomai, which means after he's died. He, the event of him coming to this earth completely divided history into B.C. and into A.D. History, that which was past, and now his story that is still being spoken of in each one of our lives. And that's why I believe that the story of Christmas, the story of a Savior that's come, that we need to live that out each and every day because people don't have to wait till Christmas to find Jesus. They can find Jesus every day through seeing Jesus in each one of our lives as we live out His story. Come on, history is past. His story is living on in each one of our lives every day in the way we walk, in the way we talk, in our attitudes, in the decisions we make through every course and every part of our lives. So Christmas is not over. It's to be continued. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, to be continued. And let's look at the next part, not the last part, but the next part of the great Christmas story today and discover where the continuation wants to happen in each one of our lives. Today we're going to talk about the wise men who came to see Jesus, or as we have labeled them as three kings. If you've got your Bibles, you can read with us Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, thank God he was born. Come on, if you're going to say amen in a message, that's a good place to say amen. Thank God he was born. I like that, after Jesus was born. That's my hope. That's my future right there, that Jesus, Emmanuel, came. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to what? Hold on to that key thought. We have come to worship him. Say that with me. Worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And he and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them when the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets. That's a prophecy fulfillment of Micah 5 verse 2, some six to seven hundred years before this actual event. Think how awesome God is setting it up. And we worry that God can't handle our tomorrow. Come on, he's got centuries that he's already taken care of. But you, Bethlehem, verse 6, in the land of Judah, are you not the least amongst the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's a direct quote from Micah 5.2. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, notice this, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east 
went before them. I don't know if it reappeared. That's almost the thought that the star once again reappeared and it led them until they came or until it stood right over where the young child was. I wonder how high above the earth it was. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it was strategically enough place that the Bible says it stood right over where the child was. And it says, and when they went in or when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, notice the house, not the stable, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and what? Remember at the beginning, their goal was to worship him. What are they doing now? They are worshiping him. They're not telling of the great journey that they've come on. They aren't telling of all the troubles and the woes. And they went to the king and they did this and that. They come into the house and they fall down and they, come on, help me out. And they... They worshipped him. They worshipped him. Their number one goal was to worship him. And when they had opened their treasures, so they worshipped and gave. When they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense of myrrh and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And then verse 16 says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, because they didn't come and tell him, He was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. The story of the wise men who come to worship and give. They come to worship and they come to give. It's amazing. The Bible doesn't really tell us much and we don't know much about these men. All we know is that they came from the east. They were probably astrologers, those who studied the stars, the sky and and all the signs that there were. We don't know really where they came from. And interestingly enough, we don't know how many of them there were. We've concluded it was three, and I think the conclusion has probably come because they gave three gifts, so one each. But there could have been a whole host of them. The Bible doesn't tell us how many there were, and it doesn't even tell us that they were kings. Tradition says that they were men of high position from Parthia, which is a part of ancient Babylon. So we're not even sure why they followed the star, but they did. And as a result, they have made it into the greatest story that this earth and this world has ever known. It's pretty interesting when you think of what they were as astrologers, those who were looking at the stars for signs, which was something that was condemned in the Bible. Did you know that? It's condemned because we don't look to the skies for our answers and for the times. We look to the God of the skies. We look to our creator. We look to God. So it was something that was condemned in the Bible. Yet, with all of this, not knowing who they were, why they came, why did they follow, doing something that wasn't even right. Yet, with all of this, can you see the grace that God still enfolds, that he would use people, that the Bible condemned what they did, that these were Gentiles, these weren't Jews. Come on, they weren't the chosen people of God. These were foreigners, these were strangers, these were Gentiles. They had no business being really in a story like this, but thank God they are, because that gives each one of us the hope that we can be a part. Can you see how God in his great story 
unified both the Jewish race and everyone else, the Gentile race, and showed that every one of us can come and worship Jesus, that every one of us has a part in the story of redemption. And I love what they said to King Herod. Look what they said in verse 2. Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. Can you see him just busting into the palace and saying, where is he? Come on, show us to him. Where's that baby? Come on, I bet he looks really cute. And everyone in the palace is scratching their head and saying, what? Herod's probably getting a little bit worried. I mean, I didn't didn't know I had a kid. What's going on? But they said, we've seen his star in the east. And I love it. We have come to worship him. I love that thought. We have come to worship him. We've come to ascribe greatness to him. We've come to declare the awesomeness of who he is. Think about what it means to worship something. They have come to worship someone they don't even know. They've seen a star. They've followed it. They don't understand it all, but they understand enough to see a need to fall down and to worship him. What a different approach to what we see many times around us today. And even more specifically, perhaps even in our lives. Why? Because we don't think about coming to worship God. We expect God to worship us. Yes, I did say that right. We expect God to worship us. Why? We expect God to come looking for us. We expect God to explain himself to us. We expect God to prove who he is to us. We expect God to give us the gifts and and to give to each one of us. I want to remind you today, those who are wise still seek to worship Jesus today. Those who are wise still seek after Jesus today. The Bible said, seek me and I will be found. Come on. That we can be found by him. We still seek him. Why? Because wise men don't look for what they can get, but they look for what they can give. Are you looking to God for what you can get? Or are you looking for what you can give? Because if you're looking to get, here's how the story would go. They're falling in and say, hey, Herod, where's that king? We want to hook up with him because we want to get some of the recognition of being connected with him. They weren't interested in the fame and the glitz and the glamour of being part of that king. All they recognized was the fact there was a king. And they wanted to worship him. They wanted to surrender their lives, no matter who they were. I love the fact that we depict them as kings because they were barren before the king of kings. They were saying even in their power and even in what they were, hey, we are nothing compared to this God. You see, it's not about what we get out of it, but it's really about who he is. The whole message of the gospel is about worshiping him, serving him, giving to him. Now we will receive because the Bible says when you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be open. When you do these things, it will happen. But what happens? It doesn't happen because that's what we want. It happens because that's who we serve. That's who we worship. That's who we give our lives to. They didn't know anything about Jesus. But one day they're out. And they see something strange. One calls to the other and says, have you ever seen that before? No, I never have. And they consult together and they say, wow, that's something different. And they must have researched and they must have looked because they discovered what it symbolized. That there was a king that was going to be born. We've seen a star in the east. And they had journeyed and they had come. Listen, they followed to worship. Absolutely love that. If you haven't got the point today, we're talking about worshiping God. 
they followed to worship God. Look at this statement. We can still worship God without having all the answers. We can still worship Him without having all the answers. Well, when God does this, then I'm going to give this to God. Or when God does this, then I'm going to give my whole life. But until then, I'm not going to get serious with God because he's not serious with me. Come on, come on. He's so serious with you. He sent heaven's best to be born on this earth, to live and to die. A spotless lamb, a sacrifice that was given for us. It took our sin, the sin debt that we owed. And he came and he suffered and he died for each one of us. He went to hell. He took the keys back from Satan and said, thank you very much. And he went up to heaven and he ruled and he reigned and he came back to this earth and he lived and then he went back to heaven and he's now seated at the right hand of the father. Why? Because when he hung upon the cross, he said, it is done. I've finished. I've accomplished everything. Don't tell me that he hasn't done anything for you. You can still worship him despite the fact that your kids are lost. You can still worship him despite the fact you don't know you have a job next week. In fact, that's when you need to worship him more. And I know that doesn't make sense because you should always worship him that much. But you need to dig in a little bit deeper. Come on, when the dark night starts coming and the storm starts swirling all around you, you need to hold on to that anchor, Christ Jesus. You need to throw your life at his feet. You need to begin to worship him. You need to follow and worship God. Because true worship is who he is, not what he does. True worship is about him, not according to my understanding and what I can figure out. Because he goes beyond my understanding. Remember, he promises to be a peace that goes beyond my understanding. He's beyond what I am. His ways are above mine. His thoughts are greater than mine. The Bible says that. Why? Because if we try to reason it all out, if we try to figure it all out, we wouldn't need faith. But faith is believing and trusting and following and worshipping when we don't even see or don't even understand perhaps how we're going to make it through another day. The best thing that you can ever do in your life is not to throw your hands up in surrender, but to throw your hands up in worship and to say, Lord, give it. Job lost everything. And what did he do? He worshipped God. What? He sure did. And he said these words, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But guess what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. While I'm still alive, God can still produce inside of me. Come on, God maybe took what I have, but remember, he did not take the ability that I have to reproduce because God took everything from Job except his wife. What was his wife? That which could bring new life into their family. God's got life inside of you. The story continues. There's life if we'll follow God and worship God. I'm preaching before I should. I'm trying to get through this part of the story. Still my introduction. So the wise men show up at the palace, but there's no baby. I mean, wouldn't you assume that's where a king would be born? I would. But he wasn't any ordinary king. Herod hears about this and he's really upset. He's pretty mad about it. You've got to understand why he's so mad, because his throne is threatened. 
Look at what it says in verse 3. When Herod hears this, he's troubled. And notice what else? All of the people of Jerusalem are troubled with him. Why is that? Because Herod was an appointed king. He wasn't an heir to the throne. He wasn't of Jewish descent. He wasn't someone who should have been a rightful king. So he hears of a king of the Jews who has come. He's worried for his position. He's worried for his throne. And as a result, everyone else is worried too. Why? Because this is a crazy guy. Herod's a crazy guy. History tells us that he killed his favorite wife. And he also killed his sons. Why? To protect his rule. This is one crazy dude. Come on, he was deranged. He was capable of doing anything. So when he's troubled and everyone hears this, people are locking their doors and they're hiding because they're like, wow, what could happen now? Because we know this kind of man and what he's capable of. Of doing, and we read in verse 16 what he was capable of doing, how he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and the regions around it from two years and under. He killed every one of them. So he calls his priests and his scribes, and they knew enough of the scriptures to identify that Bethlehem was the birthplace. And in verse 6, we see that Micah 5.2 was quoted, as we read earlier, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are you not least amongst the rulers of Judea? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod has a plan. Here's his plan. He says, I want to worship him too. That was the pretense that he used. He said, would you do me a favor, guys? Would you go and find where he is? Because I want to come and worship him too. He asks for the exact time. He sits down and says, when was the exact time? It was about two years they had journeyed. Two years these wise men had journeyed following the star. They'd been on a long journey which involved a great sacrifice. Look at this quote. Living for Jesus is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Living for God is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Hold on to that thought. So he wants them to report back to him. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. Again, I don't know if it reappeared. It seems like that was the case. But it went again once before them. And still it came and stood over where the young child was. Verse 11, and they came into the house. And they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. History tells us that Jesus was probably almost two years of age by this time. They came to a house, not to a stable. In our story, we see the shepherds come. And a lot of times in our story, the shepherds are still present when the kings arrive. Wasn't the case in the story. We see Mary and Joseph living in a house. It's probably a house that they owned. They had settled into that area. They were living in that area. And they had a home. So Jesus was about almost two years of age. Hasten the reason why Herod had the children killed from two years old and younger because he wanted to make sure that he had killed and destroyed this king, this Messiah. But I love again what it says. They fell down and they worshipped him. They followed to worship. They followed to worship. The whole time we've been presenting the Christmas story this year, as a classic Christmas. The hope has been this, that we don't just read of a story, but we see ourselves in the story. That we see the life application or implication of what we need to be doing in each one of our lives. 
I pray today that you have jumped into the house where Mary and Joseph is today. I pray that you're seeing a child that is probably running around playing in the middle of the floor, not laying in a manger, not with straw all around him and swaddling clothes, but this is a little toddler who's running around talking. He's got drool coming out. He's got teeth. He's smiling. A beautiful little child. And as soon as they see him, they fall down and work. What an incredible picture of what our lives need to be. But instead... So often we worship everything else. We so easily get distracted along the way. I like what Paul says, if you believe he wrote Hebrews, which I feel he did. But I love what Paul said in Hebrews 12, verse 1. He says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That thought can be twofold right there. We're surrounded with a greater cloud of witnesses, that the witnesses are in heaven. Those who have gone on before us, the greats, those who have paid the price, they're cheering us on for heaven. But then there's another thought, that we're living a life with witnesses all around us, people at our workplaces, at our schools, in our neighborhoods. Since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, what does he say that we should do? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Notice that, every weight and the sin. Come on, say that with me, weight and sin. One more time, weight and sin. Notice he doesn't say, let us lay aside the weight that is sin. But he says, let us lay aside the weight and the sin. Sin is weight, we know that, because it weighs us down. But weight is not always sin. Are you with me today? That there's weight and there's sin. Sin is a weight, but weight is not always a sin. It's head in that way probably fast. Let me present to you. Last week we talked about questions. Remember questions from a hillside. We said it wasn't wrong to have questions until what? They cause us to doubt God. Questions can be a weight on our mind. They can be a weight upon us, but they're not necessarily a sin until what? We cause... They cause us to question God, then they can become a sin. So can you see the weights and the sins? What about a job? You can pray for a job. Is a job a sin? No, it's a job not to have a sin. It's a sin not to have a job. There you go. Get it right. It's in there somewhere. But because the Bible says we need to do that. So what do we say? My job's not a, a sin, but it can become a weight. My job can become a weight when all of a sudden I'm not in church because I'm too tired because I've worked too hard. Or I'm working every Sunday, I'm working every... And I realize some shifts and some people have opportunities. But you've got to watch that you don't turn the blessings of God into a weight that will become a sin. Come on, you've got to watch those kind of things. So weights are not sins, but they can become that way. And there's a warning that we need to be careful. Why am I saying all this? Because we can get so distracted on the way. Our function in life should be to worship God, to live a life that's worshiping Him. But yet we caught up, get so caught up with the weights and the sins that steals away our focus from where it really should be. So let's read on. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin. You Live in Translation says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with what? Endurance, the race that is set before us. Notice this, the marathon that is ahead of us. 
Not a sprint, but the marathon. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author or the originator and the finisher or the perfecter. He's the writer and he's the finisher. Come on, he's the author and he's the finisher. He's the perfecter of our faith. Stop there. I wonder what's distracting you and I from worshiping him. I wonder what the weights and sins that we have in our lives that we've accumulated, as Kayla said, over 2013 even. When we started the year, I'm sure every one of us started say, God, I'm going to give you everything this year. But we kind of got some weights along the way and we've got some sins in our lives. And we can justify the weights and say, well, they're okay. But the New Living Translation says we've got to lay aside the weights that will slow us down, that will keep us from being what God wants us to be. But I wonder what there is in each one of our lives that is stopping us from giving him everything. Because the story is going to continue. But God has chosen you and I to continue the story. But what story are we telling with our lives? What story are we living? I love that word, looking unto Jesus. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. That word in the Greek is aphorao. That comes from two words, which means apo, which is away from, and horeo, to see. So from away from and to see. Thus signifying, when we talk about looking unto Jesus, it signifies undivided attention. Looking away from all other distractions in order to fix one's gaze on the object ahead. My grandfather used to have horses and they used to put on the horses what they called blinders. If you've been around horses, they used to do that with the carts. They would have a blinder and that would be something that would be to the side of the horse's head that all the horse would be able to see is straight ahead where it was looking. It was the responsibility of the person who was driving the cart to move the head. And when they moved the head... All the horse saw in front of it was what, where it needed to go. All the distractions around it were eliminated by the blinders. We need to have blinders in our lives. Why? Because we can so easily get distracted by everything that's all around us. So here's the thought, literally, looking unto Jesus is literally this. Look, having eyes for no one else but Jesus. Having eyes for no one else But, oh, I love Jesus and, oh, many times I love this, this, this and Jesus. Jesus gets tagged on the end. He's not normally even tagged on the beginning. He's tagged on the, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done everything. I've done this, this, this. Oh, yeah, I guess I'll have to pray. Notice how we tag him on the end of everything. The thought is this, in our lives, each one of us, we should have eyes for no one else but Jesus. He should be the front and center of our lives, not allowing anything else to distract us. I wonder who you have eyes for today. I wonder who your eyes are on, what your eyes are on today. But it may not even be sin. You could justify it and say, well, it's not wrong, but maybe it's a weight. Because you can be with the wrong person in a relationship, and that's not a sin because it's okay to be happy. But if that's not the right person for you, that's going to be a weight in your life, and it's it's going to keep you from where God wants you to go. You see, I wonder what you've got eyes for today. Because it's going to begin to hinder your walk. It's going to begin to steal your attention and it's going to take your affection away from God. Don't get distracted by the palace. 
The wise men, the kings, went to the palace first. When they found no king, they could have easily left and said, man, I guess we misunderstood. I guess the star misrepresented us. Along the way of two years, I guess we've missed what we're really looking for. No, they didn't stop in the palace. When they didn't find what they were looking for there, they moved on. Come on, you're not going to find what you're looking for in the wrong places. You're only going to find it in the right places. And that's why you've got to keep living on. You've got to keep moving on. Why? Because wise men still seek Jesus. Come on, wise men still seek Jesus. They're looking to Jesus in their lives. They're looking to Jesus. Perfect illustration right now. How many of you have been distracted? Don't be distracted by the circumstances and the situations of life. But look to Jesus. Trust God. I like how Elijah put it. King Ahab and the children of Israel, he gathers all the children of Israel together one day and he's accused Elijah of being the one who has brought a drought. He's accused Elijah of being the one that's troubled Israel. He sees Elijah coming and he says, oh, look at you, you troubler. You're the one who's troubling. But look what Elijah says. Or oh, look at the setup here in 1 Kings 18, verse 20 and 21. It says this, so King Ahab sent for all the children of Israel And gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to the people and he said these words. How long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you be double-minded in where you're at? How long are you going to take eyes over here and eyes there? How long are you going to worship this and worship God? How long are you going to live a double life? He says, if the Lord is God, then you follow him. But if Baal is God, here's what he's implying. If Baal is the God, if that's the right way, then go after him. And the Bible says, and the people answered him not a word. How long are you going to be? What did they do? They followed to worship. What are we going to do in our lives? What are we going to be a part of in our lives? Are we going to allow distractions? Are we going to allow the things of this world to take from us, just like the people of that day? Because they didn't even answer. There's an answer that's needed. Do you realize that? Just because you don't want to answer, there's an answer that's required. Whether you move your mouth, there's an answer that's required. I can talk to Luke and talk to our kids. And how many of you have disciplined your kids and you say to them, do you understand? And they sit there and they don't want to answer because an answer and then they're going to understand and they're going to know what's done wrong. Have you ever had that with your kids and they just don't want to answer? And you said, son, do you understand? And reluctantly, sometimes they say, yes, I do. And really what he's saying is, I do understand, but I don't want to admit it. It's like that little kid, remember, in the car whose dad said, sit down, son, you're going to fall. And he wouldn't sit down. And the kid sat, stood up still and the dad said, son, sit down, you're going to fall. And he said, son, I'm not going to tell you one more time. This is it. Sit down or you're going to get your butt whipped. And the kid sat down and the dad was feeling good about himself until the little kid said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm still standing on the inside. That's how many of us are. Come on. I'm worshipping God on the inside, but I'm still worshipping Baal on the outside. Come on, I'm worshipping God and I'm living for God and I'm saying my heart's right with God. But everything else around me is showing a different message, a different method. Come on, how long? James says this, a double-minded man is going to be unstable in all of his ways. 
what I'm preaching to you today is stability, it's safety, it's security. Oh, but just to have eyes for Jesus, that's kind of, that's kind of old-fashioned. It's kind of, no, no, the Bible says that's going to produce life into every area. Because if we're double-minded, meaning this way and that way, the Bible says there's going to be instability in everything. So we're not even going to be stable in our walk with God. That's going to be unstable too. We're going to have no stability in our lives. It's amazing how many of us are one way on Sunday and then another way the rest of the week. And for many of us, it doesn't even take the rest of the week. It's already over before we hit the parking lot and get in our cars. Come on, we come in here and we worship God and we turn on God for whatever it may be, music in our vehicles and we're listening and filling ourselves with filth and the words that come out of our mouth. The Bible says we honor God with our mouths and there shouldn't be goodness and bad that comes out of the same mouth. Think about that. That should not be, the Bible says. Come on, we're one way in this house, but what way are we in our house? Should be the same, should be the same. If the story is going to continue, we've got to change. If the story of Christmas, God with us, is going to continue and not be concluded, we've got to get it right by being right. What are you worshipping? What are you living for with your life? They follow, they worship. Is that true of your life today? The story continues and it must. They presented their gifts to God. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Gifts symbolizing his identity, symbolizing who he was. Why? Because gold was a gift for a king. Frankincense was a gift that was given to deity. Myrrh was a gift that was given as a spice to anoint a body for burial. Mary wasn't too happy about that one. But I think in her heart she knew what it really meant. That he was going to be sacrificed and he was going to be given. That his life for each one of us. But those gifts also, they tell us, were probably something that they sold to enable them to live at that time and to make it as they had to flee to Egypt because of the threat and because of the fear and just different things that went on. But they came and they gave their gifts to him. They worshipped and they gave. Here's the progression. They followed, they worshipped, and they gave. Aren't you glad today that God doesn't expect anything from you? that you don't already have the capacity to give. God doesn't expect anything from you that you cannot do, that you do not have within you to be able to give. I'm glad that God doesn't require me to do something that I would have to look and say, God, there's no way I can do that. None of us are without an excuse. Every one of us are able to give everything that God requires of us. Why? Because he's already placed it inside of us. The capacity is there, but whether that capacity is filled or not determines the life that we choose to live and the decisions that we choose to make. Look what it says quickly in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. I'm going to read quite a few verses, but let me read through this quickly today because they followed, they worshipped, and they gave. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. Again, the story is not about how much was given, but what was done with that which was given. 
because every one of us in here have different talents and different abilities. Had to just have this conversation a few weeks ago with my son Luke. He was playing football, his first year playing football. There's kids on his team that are better than him. So what do those kids on the team want to say? We're better than you. What does that make a kid feel like when they don't know how to process that information right? It makes him feel like he's a failure and he can never play football. I said to him, Luke, there's always going to be people better than you. But that doesn't make you a failure. That just means they're better than you. And that means what? You need to just work a little bit harder and you need to try a little bit harder. But then I said to him, name me one player who's on the Heat team. And he said, Chris Bosh. I said, okay, that's cool. Give me some other people. He says, I don't know anyone else on the Heat team. I said, do you know there's more than one player on the team, don't you? And he said, yes, sir, I do. I said, you see, most of the time we identify the superstars, but the reason superstars are superstars is because they have people to support them and give them the ball. They can't do nothing if they don't have the ball. They can't be set up. They can't do. Can you see in our lives, we can so often look at someone else and say, well, they're better than me. Listen, God's not interested in who's better than anyone else. God wants to know what you're doing with what he's given to you. What he's given to you, okay? So he's given to him, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and he traded with them and made another five. So he's now got ten. And likewise, he who had received two, he gained two more, put it in the bank, gained interest. He's now got four. But he who had received the one, who could have felt sorry for himself and obviously did, what did he do? He went and dug a hole in the ground and hid it. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and he settled the accounts with them. So when he who had received five came and brought five others, the Lord said to him, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over what? A few things I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Notice where the joy of the Lord comes, being faithful in what has been given to your life. Let me say that one more time. Notice where joy in our lives comes through being faithful to what God has called us. Not what he's called someone else to do, but what he's called us to do. Because I've been called to follow, worship and give. Come on, enter into joy. He also who received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a what? Few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into what? The joy. The joy of the Lord comes through being faithful in the little so God can honor you with more. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, there it is. What is yours? Here it is right now. But his Lord answered and said to him, you are wicked and lazy. You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bank. At least at my coming, I would have received back interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given for he who has will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Notice this. If I'm not following worshiping and giving, God says what I have will be taken from me. It'll be taken. Even if it's just little, it's going to be taken. And guess what happens as a result? And he was cast and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and there will be gnashing of tears. What are you doing with what God has given you? What are you given with the talents and the gifts that God has given you? Because they're talents and gifts fit for a king. Come on, they're talents and gifts that are fit for a king. What do I mean by that? God's given us talents to serve the king. 
God's given us talents to serve the king. God has given us the abilities that we have first and foremost so we can use them to build his kingdom. And secondly, we can provide for our family with those. Did you catch that? God first and foremost wants us to worship him with what he has given to us. Given him first and then what? He can use then the rest or we can then use the rest to provide for ourselves and our family. His story has to continue through our lives. But I wonder how many of us are digging holes. I wonder how many of us are not only worshipping, but what not worshipping, but we're digging a hole with the gifts that God has given. We've given up following. We're not worshipping and we're digging a hole. Look what verse 29 says. For to everyone who has, has what? Has been a good steward with that which God has given to them. More will be given and he will have an abundance. That word abundance there means you'll have super to superabound, to have an excess, a great, greatly surplus, to excel. The footnotes in my Bible says the word shows the generosity of God's grace, given assurance that faithful use of one's talents and gifts sets the stage for one's own advancement. Notice that sets the stage for one's own advancement. So therefore, to truly worship God, And to give with him our lives and our gifts, it will change the outcome of our lives. We can blame God for where we're at, but the real reason we're where we're at is because of us. Because if we're not giving God the gifts and worshipping him, our lives and the outcome of our lives will be affected. If you're not happy with where you're at right now, here's the key. Worship and give him everything. Keep following God, worshipping him, give him everything. Stop digging holes. It's amazing to dig a hole is a lot of work. Our dog just died last week. I had to dig a hole. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to dig a hole. And it's amazing. We think it's easy to do it this way or that way. But Satan wants us to do perhaps the hardest work ever because digging a hole is a lot harder than going to a bank and putting money in a bank. Come on, we think we're taking the easy route out, but we're not. We're doing what is going to affect us and wear us down the most. Satan wants us to be busy working aimlessly through our lives. Start investing, banking in God to change your life. Why? Because the story's to be continued, not to be concluded. Because the story's never over with God. And I love the last part of the story, and then I'm going to shut up and we can go home. Matthew 2, verse 12. Then they being the kings, the wise men, being divinely warned in a dream they should not return to Herod, the false worshiper, They departed for their own country. What does it say? Another way. New Living Translation says they went home another way. They sure did. And the other way wasn't just the route that they took. Let me say that one more time. Going back another way was not just a different route. If you've ever put in your GPS to go somewhere, many times it will give you two or three options and you can choose which one's the most direct. But you can choose right now. I could probably go home to my house 10, 15 different ways. I'm going to get there. Each way may take a little bit longer, may have to go out of my way, but I'm going to get there eventually. They went home a different way and we're not talking about a different direction. I believe they went home a different way inside. Their lives were changed. Why? Because after you find Jesus... And after you truly worship him, come on, you will never be the same again. Finding Jesus means that your life must take on a different direction. Why? Because listen to this. He loves you so much not to leave you the same way. He loves you so much 
that your life will be completely altered and changed. It's a life, you see, now that is responsive and obedient to God's word. Because even the word repenting means to turn away. What does it say in Romans 6, 23? For the wages of sin, the payday of sin is death. But the gift of God, go in his way, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, throughout the entirety of this story, the classic Christmas, we've seen that we're favored and chosen. Not because of the fact that we're special, but because he's special. And because he's seen something in us that we haven't seen. We've seen the fact of Emmanuel, that God wants to be with us. We've seen that even through the circumstances and situations that appear to be out of our control, it's the greatest setup where it's getting everything where God wants it to be. We've seen the fact that we can have questions, but don't allow the questions to cause us to doubt God. But yet we can trust him. And now we've seen the thought that we need to follow to worship and to give to entrust him totally with our lives. There's no greater way, I think, than to end the chapter of this story. We haven't closed the book, we've just ended the chapter. There's no greater way to end this chapter, I think, than for each one of us to say again today, God, I give you everything. God, I want to surrender my complete life to you. This is the last Sunday of of this year. This is the last Sunday of 2013. Why not make this the right start for 2014? Why not allow this to be the foundation that you build 2014, that you end this year right, so you can begin the next year right? The wise men went on a long journey, and it wasn't easy, but they continued to follow. They worshipped, and they gave, and they left a different way. May his story be your story. May it continue. And may you touch many other people's life on the way. Would you stand with me today? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.